The game is the game. Join me, your host, Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt, as I travel on the journey to meet people from a variety of professions to find out what made them excel in their field. Walk with me. Welcome to The Game is the Game. I'm your co-host, Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt, and welcome back once again to another episode. Today on The Game is the Game, I'm, I'm delighted, um, I'm, I'm touched. Is touch the right word to use? Yeah, I'm going to say I'm touched. I'm honoured uh, to have the guest we've got on today. And, I'm, and, and in order to talk about the guest we got on today, we were just talking backstage, and I was like, how am I going to intro him? And then I remembered I read something. The guest today is none other than Carl Anker. But the bio says, and this is a bio, bio stolen from someone else, Carl Anker is a London-born journalist and broadcaster who likes his tea with milk and one sugar. And the thing is, <laughs> when I come to Carl in a second, um, I'm going to ask him how comes that particular website decided to... I'm sure Carl gave them that bio. <laughs> That's how they chose to describe him. But he is, he is of course, so much more than that best-selling author, um if you know if you if you're somebody who follows certainly football journalism one of the top journalists on on the athletic um if you're somebody who follows the the, the tifo videos is all over those if you're somebody who listens to various different podcasts you'll find carl anchor there where can't you find carl anchor in essence <laughs> but like i say before i come to carl just a bit of admin, though, for people before we kind of delve into this one. Thank you, as always, to everybody who's been liking, sharing the the, the podcast and so on and so forth. Continue to do so. Um, at the end of the, the podcast, you can, you'll can you hear my voice come on and tell you where you can find the game is a game. Look at the pod description below, etc., to find where all the apps are for Twitter, Instagram. You know what. But most importantly of all, continue to keep supporting, continue to keep sharing. Every follow, every share. Um is 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 a is an is an honor so thank you very much for that but like i say today's episode is called the one with the journalist it is with carl anchor mr anchor how you doing i'm doing well i'm doing well it's a friday afternoon um it's the summer so a friday afternoon actually means i have a weekend <laughs> uh i've been catching up on all the books and television shows and media that everyone's been enjoying several months before uh, so yeah, getting getting back into the groove of acting like a civilian rather than someone constantly plugged into the footballing machine, shall we say? I, I love how you say that. So at the time of recording, it's the thirtieth of June. You say that like you've got another two months to go or something. You've no, about, no, I've you've got about I've two got like, seconds to go. <laughs> I've got twelve days before Manchester United's first preseason game. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's that thing of I get one holiday that's longer than a bank holiday weekend a year mm. that tends to be in june and then that's about it and then i sort of got, got to find things in the margins and in the in the bank holidays this it's a it's a fun job uh, and there are times where you say sentences that sound absolutely absurd to your mates and they go i can't believe you're doing this so i'm always honored i'm very grateful for that but you do get to the thing of um i will never i will very rarely read a book on the first mm. week of a book being released or i will very rarely watch you know the the number one television show in the country week to week in the same way everyone does yeah uh, so yeah i've only just now started watching barry 
I hear you. <laughs> I mean, only a short while out, but you know. <laughs> but, you know, and that's quite, for those who, I'm sure there's people listening to this, they already know who you are, they already know what you do, but there will, of course, be people listening to this who don't, who may have clicked on it because they're like, oh, the one with the journalist, let me see what this is about, but don't necessarily know your work or the depth of your work. So before we kind of delve into it properly, from where you were when you first started in the field to where you are now, this answer may have changed. So let me start this way. How would you have described what you do five years ago, or maybe you might say three, four years ago, to what you're doing now? So what is the one-size-fits-all description that you would use if you were networking in a room of people who didn't necessarily know you? Oh, okay. Um, that's a good question. And it's really good that you mentioned years in the question as well. Mm. I think anyone talking about the creative arts in 2023 also needs to talk about the environment that is 2023. Um, mm. So, yeah, there are, I read loads and loads of interesting things from entrepreneurs who talk about how they make their money and they go, oh, yeah, I started doing this on YouTube in 2010. I'm like, stop. YouTube yeah. in 2010 is dramatically different to YouTube in 2023. The advice you're given as to how you got to where you were might not be applicable anymore. Yeah. So it's really important to, to give the years when you graduate, give the years when you first started doing your thing, give the years when you found things were successful, give the years when you found things weren't so successful because the internet, the algorithms are constantly changing and the skills that you're often being told to do five years ago might not be applicable five years later. So in short, I am a journalist with a focus on creative nonfiction. So... I I think, broadly speaking, there are two types of journalists. You've got your news hounds mm. who go, this is a thing that happened. Yeah. Um, and then you've got your storytellers. So I was there when this thing happened. Here's a collection of stories from that event. Right. And I think my strength in journalism has always been to stand in the place and go, I'm going to tell you the story of this. So right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand in a packed stadium and tell you what people were chanting. I'm going to get in a cab on the way to a gig and tell you what this taxi driver thinks of the musician we're about to watch. I'm going to play a Call of Duty game and tell you how odd it is to play another video game version of D-Day. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I try and focus on the whys and the hows yeah. over the what. Um, and in terms of what I've been doing in the last three or five years compared to other years is I'd say since 2018, my primary focus has been doing that in the footballing space. So I graduated in 2012. In 2012, um, if you were graduating and you, I'd say, were a nerd, I'm a nerd, uh, a nerd being I, I, I enjoy niche <laughs> topics and whatnot, I'd say one one way of, of getting yourself into the industry was you talked about uh, the MCU because it, it was it was a nerd friendly business. Yeah. You know, I was a nerd mm. that read comic books. The biggest films coming out at that point in time were based on comic books. There are loads of things in those trailers that if you had read the comic books, you're like, Oh, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Where a lot of the non nerd or mainstream outlets were going, could someone please explain to me what are extremist viruses? Cause that seems to be mentioned in the trailer for Iron Man three. And I'm yeah. you know, 21 years of age and I raised my hand going, it means this, it means this is probably what's going to happen in the next film. And then the person with money goes, I'll pay you 50 quid to just explain that in 200 words. I'm like, yeah, sure, no worries. And that was my that was my foot in the door 
so I'd say 2012 to 2015, my expertise was nerd ephemera. So I've talked a lot about the MCU. I talked a lot about the FIFA games. I talked a lot about um, Call of Duty. Uh, And I talked a lot about the, what I call the B tier, best picture nominees at the Oscars. Mm, mm. And when you're freelance, which you were in 2012, because that was the real beginning, like the constriction of media and you know, the, the sub editors were being fired and the features editors were, were beginning to fill the squeeze. So you became, I, you became the person who wrote 204 to 400 words here or there on specialist, specialist areas that weren't necessarily easily Googleable. Yeah. You know, so the guardian were going, this call of duty game seems to be making so much money. Why is call of duty popular? Call of Duty player Kaika says, and I give you a quick sentence as to what Call of Duty is. Boom, and that was my space. So I did that, and so you start the year, and you you start the year in the UK, and you'd be writing about films because it was Oscar season. You get to you get to your spring, and then you'd be writing a little bit about the MCU comic books. Then you'd get towards September, and you'd be writing about FIFA because that's when the FIFA game came out. You get to November, that's when the Call of Duty game came out. You get to December, you write about movies again, and that was my pattern every single year for several years and some years were good and you you'd earn more money and some years uh you, you you had a choice between eating meat or buying christmas presents for your family do you know what? I'm, I'm glad you've kept it real and honest there um and as you were talking beyond me laughing that you were admitting that you're in you do you know what did you, did you say you were a nerd or you still are a nerd? No, I'm, I'm, just still, I'm still a okay. nerd. I'm like, you know, I've been, I've, been going to, I've been going to the gym and whatnot and I can box a little <laughs> bit, but I'm I'm very much a nerd. You know, I, I know I know different lightsaber forms and I, I know what the Horus heresy is. And uh, I, I'm the sort of person who, if we're at, if we're watching a film, I might pause, and we're watching a film or a DVD, I might pause the film at a certain point and go, do you know a little bit of trivia about that scene? And then continue. I'm, I'm that sort of... People like me on pub quiz teams. People don't like me too much on long car trips because I won't shut up. I'm surprised. Do you know what? I'm surprised you didn't also include wrestling. I'm oh, well, we, we can I get actually, into that in a little bit. Because <laughs> I was today I was thinking, how did I first come across Carl on Twitter? And I think it was because of wrestling. I, got, I, I really believe it might have been wrestling um, because... I, I think I came across as you do in the wrestling nerd subculture. Mm-hmm. You, you, will, you will eventually gravitate or come across somebody who is who is tweeting something about a current there event was, in wrestling. There was a phase. In, there was a phase on Twitter. I want to say this is roughly 2015 to maybe 2017, where there were a lot of people tweeting about wrestling. Yeah, uh, there was this joke of you know, welcome to UK Twitter. Here is your hand of the, here is your copy of the Communist Manifesto, and for some reason, a sign up to the WWE Network. Like <laughs> wrestling had a very pronounced peak on Twitter in 2015 towards 2018, and and inevitably because I was freelancing, um, I I became a freelance wrestling correspondent or interviewer. So I've interviewed quite a few of them as well. Mm. I, I did a little bit of wrestling training as well on top of that. So yeah, that that was my start of just being someone who had a lot of niche hobbies, was very nerdy about those niche hobbies and would constantly try and pitch those niche hobbies to various outlets and say, hey, um, have you noticed this thing is going on? Would you be interested in commissioning for that? And you know, inevitably, the freelance industry is brutal. So the answer more times than not is no. Right. And and it's just as you've, you, it's almost like you could sense a segue of where, where I was going next because I'm, I'm mindful with all of these episodes that I do, I'm always mindful of 
you, like you say, you don't know who's listening. You don't, and more importantly, you don't know the age of the people who are mm-hmm. listening. So there may well be, well, to be fair, anybody can get into the game when they want to get into the game. But for people who aren't in the kind of journalist world, whether freelance or employed or whatever it might be, the question will always be, how do you get into it? Okay, and I've I've always said to people, there's no strict answer to that question. You've just given a answer. Another person could give a, a different answer, but just retracing your steps a bit, because I'd initially written down in my notes, was this always the dream for Carl Anker? Right. So retrace your steps back to uni. Mm-hmm. Let's say, let's say, it might for you though. It might be that as you went to uni, you knew this was what it was going to be. So just retrace the steps for me. Was okay. this the dream? And when did you know I'm going to be the guy initially at that, at that stage of your life? I'm going to come out of uni and I'm going to just start pitching ideas to different publications. What was the kind of eureka moment that made you go down this path? So the fun thing is, I I, I can remember the moment, and it's not a eureka moment. It's a mm. I've been told off. So I I go to university 2009. Uh, we I study creative writing, so I have no formal journalism training mm. i don't have a nctj I, I can't do shorthand um i very much learned on the job yeah. throughout my career and this is why if you read my football articles they do not read they read atypical to someone that has yeah, an nctj training or someone that has a sports journalism degree and those people mm. that come up to me and say junior sports journalism degree to do this i'm going maybe i i, I don't have one mm. um and some people like the fact that i don't have that training and writing that way and some people find it internally awful mm. it's fine so I go to university 2009, 2012. I study creative writing because I want to be a screenwriter. Right. Okay. I, there we go. I want to make movies. I mm. I watched I watched Blade Runner at a very formative age. And I went. I want to make that. And then I watch some Guy Ritchie films. And I go. I think I can make that now. Go to first year. Write a, write a bunch of scripts. One of my university student lecturers go. That's a very funny script. Are the main characters meant to be horrible misogynists? And I said. I don't know. <laughs> I said, no, they're meant to be sort of super bad, down on their luck teenagers. Uh, And my lecturer went, okay, I say this with love. I think you need to do some women's studies modules in second year because like, the the women characters you write aren't great. They're either femme fatales or they're damsels in distress. And I went, okay, fine. You know, I I, want to make better films. If you're saying my characters aren't great, I'll do that. Uh, Pick up an elective in cultural studies. Yeah, uh, I pick some modules in uh, American feminism, whatnot, so I can learn this. And then partway through my degree, I'm like, I go, cultural studies is interesting to me in a way that creative writing is not, or right. I'm finding creative writing quite frustrating, the the way it's being taught at my university. <laughs> so I swap my degree. So cultural studies becomes my major, co- creative writing becomes my minor. Do that in second year, third year, um, I'm about to graduate, and I have no idea what I'm going to do with life. So I'm. Yeah. This is two, this is 2012. Uh, the first Avengers film has come out. I'm probably I'm moving further away from being a filmmaker than anything. And I don't really know. I don't know if I'm going to stay in my university town. I don't know if I'm going to move to Bristol. I yeah. don't know if I'm going to move back home and live with my mum in in London. So I'm going here, there, and everywhere. Uh, and there's a very very good uh, mentorship scheme at my university. And it's one of those. I think the the thing about university is at some point. The difference between the students that get a first class and the students that get a second, a two, a two one, are, are how well do you know the library? Yeah, yeah. How well do you know the library? How know do you? Know, how well have you mastered your university's referencing system? Mm. And I was a bad student by all accounts. I, you know, I'm the, I I do it on the last minute. I stroll in. I still waste the test. Uh, 
I can blag very well. Uh, and it was only years later that my one of my educators went, you're not blagging. It's just like, because you read all the time in a way that other people don't read all the time. When I when you think you're blagging, you're just going into your personal library and just pulling mm. things out you've read before. So it's all going on. I go to the you know careers bit, and there's a person in there who is legitimately surprised someone's found him. Yeah. Like, How have you found this room? I went, oh, I, I mean, I want a job. And he goes, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I, I want to be a filmmaker. Uh, have you got anyone who can teach me filmmaking skills when I graduate? And he goes, well, well, there's this very nice person who makes nature documentaries for the BBC and he lives in Bristol. Just give me a CV, I'll send it over to him. So I go home, write a CV out, send it off. Um, and on a Wednesday afternoon, I get a phone call from this person and goes, mm. hello, Carl. Um, I've just been sent your CV and I'm wondering why you sent it to me. <laughs> I beg your pardon he goes it's a very good CV but it's a journalist CV this is a CV that a journalist would write not a CV that a filmmaker would write do you mm. want to be a journalist and I said I've, I've never really thought about it that way he goes well from the looks of the piece of paper you've created off the top of your head something in you wants to be a journalist I suggest you go off and try and be a journalist rather than try and be a filmmaker have a good day and he hangs up boom and I was, yeah. I was like what uh okay went back to the careers person and i said this is what happened this person has essentially rejected mentoring me because he believes i'm i'm better off being a journalist have you got any other have you got any journal journalism mentors mm. um and i went to university in the city of bath this yeah. is where future publishing is this is you know, right it's one of the big it's it's the niche hobbyist magazine publisher they make yeah. they make fishing magazines video game magazines filmmaking magazines art magazines photoshop magazines if you have a hobby that you know what my mom terms as your stupid thing to do on a saturday mm. uh, my mom was very much like there's no such thing as a bad hobby everyone needs to do something dumb or stupid on a on a saturday because that keeps you sane yeah. when you're at your job some people go to choir some people paint their faces and go to football games some people play D&D no one's better than anyone else and that was yeah. a big thing she told me when I was a teenager um, so I went is there anyone have you got anyone there uh, and they did they had a mentor there called John Bradley John Bradley uh, John Bradley was the deputy editor of Sci-Fi magazine at the time and he was brilliant a fantastic mentor he went I'm, I'm sorry I'm your second choice but I will I will try and show you the way of journalism. So he taught me SEO, how to make news stories, how to do feature stories. Um, there was a small incident. I did a two-week internship at Sci-Fi Magazine. There was an incident where one of the gentlemen there who reviewed Game of Thrones uh, hurt his wrist yeah. on the way back from the pub. You know, drank a bit too much, cycled back, hurt his wrist. Uh, so he needed help writing the, the review for one of the episodes of Game of Thrones. And this is season two. So it's just like episode eight. Mm. Uh, I said, Carl, do you mind if I just like dictate to you to type these things? And I'm going, okay, fine. I said, fine, on the Monday. I hadn't seen Game of Thrones at this time. So <laughs> I went off and did. I sort of disappeared and watched all of Game of Thrones up until that point. So I knew yeah. what he was talking about. My housemate at the time said, I disappeared for three days. I only came down once and just walked in the living room and went, fuck the Lannisters. And I walked back upstairs <laughs> to keep watching it. And, you know, throughout this internship, Game of Thrones finishes. I get to write an article about the best moments of Game of Thrones season two that you can still find that on their games radar website. If you, you look hard enough and I'm doing this internship, I'm going, I want to do this. Right. This is cool. Okay. Uh, I sort of, I remember texting a friend going, I'd really like it if they offer me a job at the end of this internship. I have no mm. idea how jobs work. 
at this yeah. point in time. I'm 21. I, I, you, you think you graduate, you think the world's going to be yours. And then unfortunately you graduate in the 21st century and the world is brutal and win another global recession. So it, it during the internship, I go, I think I want to do this. I had impressed in this internship and uh, Mr. Bradley said, where are you, where are you going to go after you, this? I said, I'll probably move back home, live with my mum in London and said, okay, if you don't mind doing another unpaid internship, there's a total film office in London as well. I said, okay, yeah, great. So I got signed off, um, sorted out another two internship at total film. I, that was less enjoyable. If I'm brutally honest, I, 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 I wasn't as great immediately translating what I wanted to do in film. I was, mm. you know, I, I sort of got too big for boots. I've done two weeks here. I should, I should be doing even more impressive things. Uh, and mm. the people that were going, we've just come back from Comic Con. We just need someone to transcribe a lot of interviews. Can you yeah. slow your roll? Um, but I did that, and through that, I did an internship at FHM. I did Zoo Nuts magazine, Zoo magazine. Which, I remember Zoo, yeah, yeah, Zoo magazine. So that was a weekly men's magazine with uh, scantily clad women, shall we say? Um, and that one was interesting in it taught you how to write quickly because that's a weekly magazine. Yeah. So you need ideas every single day. Um, so also interesting Zoo magazine. A, a lot of squaddies people in the military would buy that mm. and take it onto tour. So you just do that. So I was sort of a posty boy doing that. Uh, you see, when you say, if I just pause you there, when you say internship, were all of these unpaid? These were all unpaid. So this is why, again, I'm going to give the, I'm going to give you the years. This, this, right, is, this, yeah, is, yeah. this is 2012. This is 2014. This is when yeah. unpaid internships are very much the, the part of the course. You, yeah. You, you get your travel paid for and then you're on your own. Uh, and right. anyone listening to this, if you are offered an unpaid internship in 2023, tell them no. Right. If you listen to that, was the next thing I was going to ask yeah. you. Yeah. Tell them no, and tell them I heard on this podcast Carl Anker said no. And if they have a problem with that, tell them that Carl Anker said you can find Carl Anker and email him and tell him <laughs> why you do that. If anyone ever tries to tell you, you we can't pay you, but it's good for exposure. Tell them people have died from exposure before. <laughs> That's the quip. Do yeah. not, you know, the joke from the, the thing from um, the Dark Knight. If you're good at something, you don't do it for free. And mm. if you are going to write for free, you write for your own website or your own blog or your own YouTube channel, and you make sure you own this IP. Because one yeah. thing I'll say, I'm going to give, you know, throughout this chat, I'm probably going to give you a name of a lot of outlets that don't exist anymore. Yeah. So I've done a lot of work for free, for places that don't exist anymore. And when those websites, when those companies went belly up, that's gone. I don't yeah. have access to a lot of my portfolio before 2015. All the work I've done for FHM is gone. All the right. work I've done for Zoo Magazine no longer exists because those companies don't exist anymore. I, yeah. in my youthful naivete, didn't back it up. Yeah. Some of it, you know, I'm quite happily glad to not have copies of. No one needs to see my writing for those sorts of magazines in, in 2013 <laughs> anymore. But some of it, I'm legitimately like, oh, I did write a really good piece about um, men's clothing at mm. a point in time. So work at Zoo for a week. They sort of march, when I come to the end of that, they march me around the corner because that's Bauer Media and around the corner of Zoo Magazine is FHM. FHM is where I met Joe Makatich, who is now the editor-in-chief of Time Out London. Mm. And I have two weeks at FHM. And that was a really interesting one as it, it was the first time I realized I am not the default. Mm. Um, so they had a big board in the corner of this is what the FHM reader was. And the number one rule was the FHM reader doesn't live in London. Right. Doesn't live in London and they're annoyed at how London-centric the media is. So you, you want to come up with ideas that someone from Blackburn or Preston or whatnot can understand. Um, and I remember pitching an idea about 
this is, you know, 2000, this is, we're coming up to an election in the United yeah. States. And I went, hey, we should do, write this. And then, then the editor went, do you think our readers care about the US election? And I said, well, I do. <laughs> I said, I do. I think it's interesting. And I went, think about it, Carl. And I went, ah. And it was a lot of that sort of exercise. Uh, yeah. And there was a point in the first week where Joe came up to me and Joe was around, hi, Carl, how, how you doing? I hope we're not trans making you do too many transcriptions. And he goes, I need a massive favor. Uh, I've got to do a feature where I get a number of children to play the, you know, the FIFA game that's coming out this year. And I also want them to play sensible soccer, international superstar, like play the old game. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Goes, but school's in and I'm not going to be able to get these children in until five o'clock in the afternoon. Can you stay behind after work to help me supervise all these children? I'm not being paid. I'm taking time up my own evening. I could say no. And I went, no, I'll do it. Sure, sure, fine. So all these kids come on. We, we do this shoot. Um, I'm sort of helping Joe do this shoot. I'm helping. I wear a silly lab coat. There's some photographs of it. It all goes in like one of the ridiculous pages of FHM later on. I'm quite proud of it. And right at the end of it, Joe turns to me and he goes, I really appreciate you doing that. That's the sort of thing that it's difficult. And you could very easily have said no. But the fact you wanted to helps you stand out in a way that other interns might not necessarily do. And he tells me a story. Another intern that perhaps didn't have a great experience and he just went, you know, does that sort of taps his temple and goes, there's something in between your ears. Keep at it. And that, that was my sort of internship, pinballing mm. around places, pitching ideas. So after intern FHM, I pitch FHM ideas and nearly every single time they say no. Because okay. I still I still hadn't quite got the nouse for pitching yes, in 2013. That, right. Um, and I'm I'm doing some internships that eventually I, I say probably aren't worth it. And one reason why I can do these internships is I'm living in my mum's house. I don't yeah. have to pay rent. I don't have yeah. the I don't have the difficult thing that a lot of people have where you go, I gotta pay rent and I can't keep doing this work for free because I've I, I need to pay my bills. My my bills were largely paid for so I could chase this dream. Um probably to my own detriment in that there were two or three times where I probably should have just calm down got a job and sort my life out but I was trying to be a, a struggling artist as it were so those are the early days and, and those days are learning how to learn and learning how to pitch learning how to be freelance learning how to be organized learning how to invoice learning <laughs> how to learning how to look into the the land the news landscape as it were uh, or you know what they say the discourse uh, and seeing what is interesting in the discourse and whether or not your idea or opinion on that discourse is sellable and in 2013 I'm very bad at this and I say I only really got good at it around 2016 and I, in that place in time I get loads of proper jobs in between I work for a children's charity for a little bit I work at BuzzFeed for a little bit I fail at BuzzFeed more than once because I just I'm so stubborn and think I'm better than everyone else and just refuse to take on help that BuzzFeed like you just it's not working out here uh, and I go back to being freelance I, I work at the independent for a little bit and there are some times when I'm writing articles in the independent and it goes great and there's sometimes I work for the independent and it's so niche and it's so uber specific and it's so twitter lensed that it just yeah. sinks like a rock so you, you you had to learn and you had to eventually humble yourself and eventually make sure you align with the right mentors and the right people that are trying to help you get better and, and improve yourself over time. If 2016 was the point at which <clears throat> you'd say, okay, 
I'm properly in now. Before I, before I even explore 2016, was there any point between 2013 and the internships and 2016 where you nearly knocked it on the head and said, you know what, even though this is what I want to do, you know, that kind of thing where like mm-hmm. you think you're getting closer to the sun, but actually you're just looking at it from the wrong angle type thing or whatever, it, or whatever it might be like. Yeah. Yeah. My there... friend says, when you think you, got, you have the ball and you're about to score, it turns out you didn't have the ball in the first place. Yeah. Um, there were two or three times where I got offered quite lucrative non-journalism jobs and I really ummed and ahed about it. There was one uh, online estate agent that offered me a job that I really ummed and ahed about whether or not I want to do that or whether or not I want to keep essentially temping at the independent. And yeah. my friends will attest there were times where what I do, I do massive pros and cons lists on my yeah. phone and on pieces of paper, pros of knocking this on the head and doing this boom cons doing this and there, there was a point where i emailed two or three journalists i really respected and admired and they gave me advice one of them was musa wonga <laughs> yeah right so <laughs> late 2015 i email musa and i this is before musa and i meet face to face and, and yeah. become friends and when we do so this is very much that musa is that famous person on on twitter who has the thing that i think i want i remember emailing him and i said why are so many black journalists freelance rather than full-time? Mm. And Musa replied in the way he often replies with that laugh. Um, <laughs> I can even and, see it being written. Yeah. <laughs> he, he replies like he often replies with that laugh and in that way where he doesn't necessarily give you the answer you want, but mm. he asks you, he, Musa has this way of, he asks you questions, but he doesn't ask you questions because you're going right or wrong. He just wants to ask you questions to see how your brain yeah, works. Yeah. And he said, I don't know why the majority of journalists in England are freelance, but I think you will find out the longer you keep doing this, if you want to keep doing this. Mm. Um, which, you know, you eventually learn money, finances, and you don't want to be pigeonholed. Yeah. I'd say. I'd say I'd say there is a especially in 2015, there was a difficulty in a lot of UK newsrooms that you could very easily be siloed away from everyone and put on a certain beat. Yeah. And the best way to avoid that was to work for yourself. Um, this is also, you know, in, in 2000, in this 2013, 2016 phase, I am not writing about football whatsoever. It's right. I, no, right. Exactly. And I'm going to get, I've, I've got that written down. Uh, football's got nothing to do with any of this. Uh, football's got nothing. I'm not writing about football at all, at all, at all, at all, at all. Um, I went to see one of my friends for a Sunday roast. I go to his house and his dad, who's a Chelsea fan goes, ah, oh, you know, I read some of your articles. They're quite fun. Um, you like football. Have you ever considered writing about football? And I go in, you know, in that sort of way that 20, two 23 24 year olds go when they think they've got everything figured out I went, yeah and i said I, I don't i said i don't really want to do it i say i think i said words to the effect of the level of discourse in english football media isn't that interesting to me so i don't want to get involved in it yeah and went, oh, he goes okay well you know i goes, i think he'd be a really good football journalist so give it some thought yeah uh, so yeah the most recent time i went to meet him he goes told you and he sort of laughed at me uh, and then i sort of looked at him back and i'm well Technically, I was correct because <laughs> I didn't actually start writing until I thought the level of discourse had got better and I had to get to yeah. a place that allowed me to go do the thing I wanted to do. Mm. Um, but yeah, I didn't write about football at all until 2016. 2016 is when I first started writing at. was the first staff writer job I got where you could call me a journalist or content okay. creator. And it was hard. It was brutal. It was an, employ- an employer that I won't name because I still dislike them to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and I'm in that, you're in that sort of news now treadmill 
where you yes, are writing yeah, yeah you are writing between nine to 15 articles a day and you're not doing any original reporting we're barely doing any original reporting because you just have to feed the facebook algorithm you have to yeah. feed the social sharing crank just going and going and going and, and that was a t- i think when that job ended uh, november 2016 that was a really difficult time in my life really painful time in my life uh, there was a point i actually shaved my head bald um because i just couldn't handle the stress and you just have like a physical signifier in this office that i wasn't doing well so i physically like shaved my head bald uh and yeah late 26 so late 2015 is when i leave buzzfeed and that was i said my first pronounced failure yeah you know I was, a, I was a bright kid go to school get my pass my exams do the next thing do the next thing get my degree boom 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 get a job eventually boom boom, boom. go to buzzfeed don't do what the buzzfeed and, and i spend so years going I've ruined my life. I've, I've, you know, what if I stayed at BuzzFeed? Then 2016 was the first time where you just, it doesn't work out and it's not your fault. And that took me, sent me into a tailspin and I stayed away from full-time work for the better part of three years after 2016. I just didn't want to be involved with anyone full-time after Mm. how bad that job was. And I, I was freelancing here and there and I was able to make, you know, I was able to to pay for myself and, and look after people, but I was still there and thereabouts. And I'd say there's a point, maybe 2017, 2018, where I'm like, this is fine. This is livable, but this is survivable. But do yeah. I want to live? Is this ever going to happen for me? And I was going, something needs to happen, which eventually came about just before the 2018 World Cup. So did football... I'm going to call it, I was about to call it football writing. Yeah, no, let's call it football writing. I'm going to call mm-hmm. it journalism for now. Did football writing find you or did you find it? Football writing found me. This is, okay. and this is why, this is why I give dates of graduation. So again, mm-hmm. I graduate 2012, 2013, 2012, 2013, Twitter is like a pub, right? Yeah. Some people have Twitter. Most people don't. Stephen Fry's on Twitter. Rihanna's on Twitter getting high and saying ridiculous things. This is when celebs, you know, if you look at, this is when Wayne Rooney's doing tweets about Mr. B oh, yeah. and Kyrie, right? <laughs> 2013 Twitter is very different. Okay? Yeah. If, if someone had more than 10,000 followers on Twitter in 2013, they were a big deal. And and only Rihanna and a few people are verified. Actually, Rihanna yeah. got verified late. But like, it was the biggest of the biggest American celebrities that were verified in 2013. 2016, Donald Trump. Okay. Yeah. So this is when Twitter becomes more about news and Twitter. This is where Twitter rebrands itself as a news platform and, and what's happening because Trump is just avoiding the news cycle and is very much tweeting. So this is when yeah. more people go onto Twitter and, you know, 2015, 2016, this is um, Black Lives Matter. This is sort of where, where a lot of the conversation about social justice comes more to the fore. And something I think you find a lot is if anyone is getting cancelling isn't real. I've been cancelling air quotes, but if someone if you are very often that you find someone's being got in trouble for old tweets, those old yeah. tweets tend to be from before 2013. Yeah, 100%. 2013 is when yeah. everyone's just it's the wild west. Yeah, and then 2016 is Trump, and it's all like news, news, democracy. Um, let's have an honest conversation about ha- what, uh, why certain industries need to be more racially diverse. Yeah, so that's yeah. 2016, and, and th- 2016 was perhaps the apex of you tweet. And then someone pays you money to turn that tweet into an article. Right. It's like it's it's the BuzzFeed, the hot take, the hot take thing. Uh, and Twitter was a you know interesting place to be. 
And then I suppose this is the point in time where I'm getting quite a few DMs like, hey, man, saw that tweet. Would you be interested in writing about that for 100 crowns? Right, okay. Like, sure, yeah, yeah. great, cool. Or, <clears throat> you know, this is when I'm working for, I'm, I'm doing one-off pieces for a lot of places. And I probably should have done more than one-off pieces, but I was quite lazy, to be honest with you. I, I, I'd do one piece for timeout and not follow it up with another pitch. Or I do one piece for Days and Confuse, I not email them constantly. I, I do yeah. like one piece every four months for Vice and not follow through in the way that other freelance journalists would. And, and why? Why is that though? Why is that because you haven't worked out that's how the game works? Or I haven't worked out that's how the game worked. Yeah. I say because I'm living at home still, mm. um, I don't have the you have to pay rent and the drive that oh, comes right. with. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't have the drive in the same way that other people do. And, yeah. and also, I'll be honest, I, I was a bit of a prick when I'm in 2016. Right? I'm, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm not proud of some of the stuff I was doing back mm. there. Um, and I was, I was mean, I was petty, uh, and I was, I was focused more on winning or looking cool than I was on, on right. being good at my craft. Yeah. So that's 2016. And then I say 2018, I, so actually I was working for Twitter for, for a couple of months. Okay. Um, so I was doing uh, paternity cover at Twitter for a little bit and working inside the machine was very interesting. Uh, and then 2018 gets towards the, and it gets to the start of the World Cup. And I, my paternity cover, I'm, the contract I have on Twitter is coming to an end. I'm not going to be extended. I, I, I guess I'm going back to journalism. Uh, and I, I don't know what to do. And then I get a DM from this guy called Sean Conboy. And he's like, I need your help. Have you written about football before? Ah, oh, interesting. Okay, sure. Uh, and goes, let's have, a, let's have a Skype call. Have a Skype call with, with Sean. And Sean is, tells me he works for Players Tribune. Mm. And he goes, it's Players Tribune. I work for Players Tribune and the 2018 World Cup in Russia is coming up. And I've got, he's goes, I'm doing this project called World Cup 32. And the idea is to talk to a player from every single country at this World Cup. And I want to do first person essays with all of them. And I need help tightening the grammar. Sean is an amazing writer. He's, he's yeah. a master of creative nonfiction and he's uh, just a fantastic <laughs> editor. He's American. Mm. He's American and he's writing about soccer and he, he, I mean, he's, he's one of the most brilliant minds I've ever met. And he was very aware of the fact that if he wrote or helped, if he helped a, a football player like Roman Lukaku tell Lukaku's life story, if he acts, if he put in a word like cleats rather than boots, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, everyone just goes, Ew. yeah, 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 just loses the whole essence. He loses the whole essence, loses yeah. the whole essence. And Sean went, I've been following you on Twitter for a while now. I think you're quite funny on Twitter. I think the articles you write are quite interesting. Would you be interested in helping me at, in this World Cup? Just be very aware of the like turn cleats into football boots, turn up and ninety yeah. into top bins. Yeah, um, like do you think you could do that before the World Cup? And I was like, you know, also, well, I don't really have a job right now. I will happily do this over the World Cup. So that's mm. how I started working with Players Tribune, and I am maybe less than five percent on those essays that go out in the World Cup. And I remember if you. If you remember 2018, you know, 2018's Raheem Sterling wrote a fantastic essay in the Players' Tribune. Yeah, yeah of course. Kaku yeah, writes yeah. a fantastic essay in the Players' yeah. Tribune. Um, these are some, you know, Danny Alves has a piece. Uh, Marcello has a piece. And, you know, so these oh. are pieces that are, there are interviews done in native languages. These native languages are then translated to English. And then they get a little bit of what, my job was like football localization. Just like make sure yeah. that sounds... Football TLC, let's call it. There that. you, there you <laughs> go. So, yeah, yeah. so I do that, and that's the World Cup, and that's the 2018 World Cup, and and this is when I'm also started beginning to 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 talk about football a lot more on Twitter as well. 
Um, so this is when uh, Totally Football Man, Total Football Podcast goes, "Hey, um, yeah, you already you've already done a wrestling podcast with this conglomerate. Would you, you know, we need someone to come in on Saturday to talk about Spain versus Russia. Do you want to have a go? Go and have a go. Yeah, uh, and." These are fun. These these are fun experiences for me. I'm like this is like, this is great. I'm not going to overstep my welcome. You know, I'm not I'm not a football yeah. journalist in the way that everyone like a lot of people football journalists and a lot of people yelling at me saying who who is this kid who's just popped out? I know where he's doing this. Um, and then we get into you know World Cup finishes, get into the new season. Players Tribune goes, you did a great job. We'd like you to stay over the new season talking to Premier League stars. And I said great. I you know I'm going to learn how to to do these nuts and bolts systems. Um, and I'm again not not. Great, I'm very headstrong. I I'm very much uh, trying to do it in the, the traditional way of interviewing football players, rather mm. than the, the very different way Players Tribune constructs those essays. Uh, and I have a very amazing mentor there called Lucy McCallum, uh, and she she said, and I I to this day, if I give a lecture to anyone, and say if you are ever going to interview a man, <laughs> basically, it's the problem a problem you get with a lot of interviews. Uh, sports interviews in particular, is that men go in to interview them as if they're doing an interview. Whereas yes. what you should do, you should interview, you should do your research as if you're going on a date. Yes. Right? Completely so agree. Yeah. You, you do your research like you're coming on to a date. So it was the idea of... I'll tell you an example. A lot of the skills I learned to play as Tribune would eventually become skills that I used to write a book with Marcus Rashford. Right. And... Before I go in to, to have my first chat with, with Rashford for a book session, I create basically a custom Wikipedia page. So I go on Wikipedia, I take all notes, I watch all these interviews with, with Rashford. And one thing I've got in my big file effects is I just have a note, what sort of questions does Marcus respond well to? Right, what sort of questions okay. make his eyes glaze over? Mm. And, and those were the skills I learned. Well, it's the first I learned in 2018, working with Lucy, working with Sean, of certain football players Strikers love it when you talk about goals. Mm. Most strikers, you say, oh, you know, you, you scored. Most strikers go in, if you incorrect, if you say like the wrong number of goals they score in a season, they will correct you. Yeah. Because number nines work, their brains just work differently. However, you know, if you ask a number nine, oh, how old was your child when you scored that goal? They go, uh, hmm. <laughs> and that's no... Yeah. That's no demerit, no ever. It's just, yeah. you know, the way certain athletes and their brains work. You know, a combat athlete, the way they talk about violence is very, very different to a track athlete and yeah. learning the correct ways to ask those questions, learning the correct ways, how different people talk in different parts of the world, learning how the grammar changes based on what part of the world you're from. So English people talk in hyphens. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, that sentence I told you there, you know, boom, 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 boom. Oh, actually a really good example is let's talk about Marcus Rashford. That was me talking hyphen. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 French people. <clears throat> talk in uh semicolons so they give mm. you those loads of sentences that are kind of related but not quite when <laughs> you speak french spanish people talk to you when you when you're translating a spanish speaking person in back into english you have to use a lot of commas because yeah. they they talk a lot in in loads of lists and whatnot if you are interviewing anyone east of the berlin wall towards the balkans loads of short sentences mm. you know ed and jeco talks to you in like five word sentence yeah i do this um and it's like learning those things as well in that you want to make sure you can properly get to, towards their personality and, and things like where they're from, what parts mm. of what they're from. You know, uh, Edison Cavani is from Uruguay, but he's not from 
like he's not from the the part of Uruguay that you go on holiday to. He, he's from Salto. Yeah. He, he's he's from a mining town, right? Uh, and so the way Cavani talks is very much I am the child of a generation of miners. Yeah, and yeah. it comes through if you talk to him properly, and you've got to make sure you do that sort of research. So this is all I'm learning in 2018, mm. and this is also at 2018 when I get an email very similar. I like your tweets. I like the way you talk about football. This is from the Athletic in the United right. States, mm. and they go, "Would you be interested in you know?" Because we're thinking about launching a soccer vertical. Would you be interested in writing about Manchester United once a week? And I go, "Well, that's that's big, huge." I, I'm going, I, I, I live in London. I don't, I, I live in London. I can't get to Old Trafford on, on, on weekends. Uh, and uh, are you sure you want me of all people? Uh, yeah. I go, yeah. He goes, we're the athletic. We don't do, we don't do regular degular. We, we don't do match reports. We want yeah. someone to talk about Manchester United in a way that is completely unlike anyone talking about Manchester United at the moment. We think you can do it. So I had a go. Yeah. And uh, it was hard. Educate, you know, it's the first time I had like a weekly sporting beat. Um, I wasn't a first source. So wait a minute. So sorry, I didn't know that. You know, so you a lot of people don't. You started stateside. Well, obviously you were living here, but you started stateside before it made its British. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crossover. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I had no idea. A lot, a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't know this. There was a, there was right, a proto, there was like a prototype year of athletic soccer where they just covered the top six, Real right, and okay. Barcelona. Um, so this is you know this is Mourinho's last season. So the very mm. first piece I did was, what if Mourinho sold his soul to the devil? Mm. And I, what I said, yeah, Mourinho sold his soul to the devil to make that Icelandic volcano erupt. That's how Inter, that's how Inter Milan beat Barcelona, and the devil went, there you go, you've got the win. However, now every third season, everything implodes, and that was that was that was the article. Yeah, and, and the Athletic were like, that's the exact sort of ridiculous off wall, but also mostly factually correct keep doing that because you know yeah. we're going to that third season Mourinho I'm going this isn't looking good because yeah. the third season Mourinho is quite dangerous um, and they, they I don't think they ever told me no on the pieces I was pitching they always went mm, thicken it out or, or get another get someone else um, yeah. we got to the end of the season and towards the end of the season this is when we start going the athletic might be coming to the UK right uh, and I'm I'm in I'm in a Slack channel I'm in a WhatsApp channel and no one is emailing me no one's responding to my questions about this so I go, right. Yeah. I went, I go, it was, it was a good run. I had a good run. I was yeah. working for the athletic. I covered Manchester United for a season. When the athletic comes to UK, there's no way they're going to give me the United job. So I said, I'm going to lose this freelance gig, but I will continue with the rest of my life. I had a good year. Mm. So I went off, went off on holiday, came back from holiday. Um, and I'm working in one freelance gig and I get an unknown phone number. Uh, how old are you, Matthew? Me, 40. You're 40. Uh, if you get an unknown phone number, what do you do? <laughs> I don't answer it. <laughs> there, you, there you go. There you go. Right? You're, you're, Admittedly, I don't answer anyone ringing me. But for the if, if someone, if someone, if someone rings me and it's an unknown number, I'm, I'm hanging up on you. And yeah. if, if I'm, only, I'm only picking up if you ring me three times. So yeah. I get an unknown number and I, I hang up. Get another unknown phone number a bit later, hang up. Get another unknown <laughs> phone number, hang up. Get another one, and then I get a message going, "Hey, um, the next time someone calls you on unknown number, maybe pick it up." Check my voicemail. Even then, I might not have picked it up. <laughs> yeah, I check my voicemail, and it is a member of staff who now works at the Athletic going, "Hello, right. I would like to talk to you about a possible job." 
and then explains to me the pitch for what will become the Athletic UK. Um, explains to me that no, I will not be covering Manchester United, but I, I do. They are looking at options, uh, mm. and then eventually through some conversations, they said, "How would you feel about covering Southampton football team?" Yeah. So this is when when the Athletic launches in 2019, just yep. after the right at the start of the 1920 season. I I am like, hello. I live in Southampton. I'm covering a football team this year. No, I'm not a Southampton fan. No, I've not been doing football journalism full time in the way that many of you have thought. Shall we try and give this the best shot? Uh, and right. it's very much like boom. Do you feel mm-hmm. when you got the so you get you get the athletic gigs? I remember when it got announced that you had Southampton. Um I remember it quite well to be fair. And um obviously two years later, was it the following season you got United? Mm-hmm. Um this is what I'm just going to say what I picked up on. Sure. And I could be completely wrong. This is my perspective. I felt that some people in the, I say some people, I felt there was a bit of an online thing when you got the gig where it was like, who's this guy? Um, because, and I say that, I, I, I say this respectfully, not everybody knew your body of work yet. Mm-hmm. So that's so me even saying, and I was somebody who followed you and I didn't know you were working for the Athletic in the States, right? So did you, feel i don't want to call it imposter syndrome because i don't think you would have imposter syndrome because you've been doing you've been doing freelance so much by that point that how could you but because the athletic were doing their big kind of this is us this is going to change the whole football landscape and Mm -hmm. every every other day there was a new journalist like it was football transfer day deadline coming across and saying i'm now i'm now joining this team and da 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 was there a sense for you of wait a minute people ain't rating me out here but like, I deserve this, but people don't know me. Do, 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 you, do you get where I'm coming? Do you get where I'm coming from? Uh, I, I'd say I still get that. I still get it to this day. Well, I, that's I, why I'm asking you because it. I think uh, so I'll, I'll, United. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll put it to you this way: we are we are black journalists. We are we right. are black people working in the creative arts. And uh, I, I'll put this to, to the listener right now as a thought provoking question: When was the last time you listener or you Macho did you watch? Uh, a football show on television and there was a black person speaking who wasn't a former professional football player. Right. Exactly. Right. There is. So I think British television and British football media has got better at showing black people. Yeah. The majority, and this is, I mean, this in no form of disrespect, pretty much everyone you see on television who is black talking about football is an ex-professional football player. Yeah. So even if I had that body of work, and even to this day, now I do have that body of work. I still get that of, well, he's never played the game. Yeah. Because there is a football fan out there who still, and they, maybe they know it or they don't know it, but still has not understood that a black person doesn't need to play the game to the highest level to understand how football works. Right. So, I mean, I, And I'd written that precise thing down. Luckily, <laughs> luckily so, you've covered it. <laughs> <laughs> when Southampton, when I get the Southampton thing, and obviously I popped up, and you know, obviously these Southampton fans, are going, fans. So I've got, I've, I've one, you've got who's this guy? He's never written about football. Two, you've got Southampton fans going, who are you? Yeah. Um, but one big thing I did was, hello, I'm covering your team. I've yeah. also moved from London to live here, mm. and I was very much going. If you want to talk about Southampton, let's go talk about Southampton. I live, I live down the road. We can go to the pub and talk about Southampton, a- yeah. and I'd say. 
my lack of intimate fan knowledge of Southampton has led me to write in the way I did. Because when I turned up at Southampton, I went, look, I support Manchester United. Mm. I lived in London. I've moved here. There is no way in hell I can tell you more about your football team's past than you know. Yeah. However, I promise you, this entire summer and this entire season, I'm going to be in the library. I'm going to be in the football stadium. I'm going to be in the lab. And anything you need to know about what's going on in your football club today, mm. I'm going to know that. Yeah. And if I don't know it, I'm going to go research that. And that was my pitch. Yeah. That's, that's, where your the, nerd, that's where your nerd background helped you. Yeah. I was never going to. So it, it wasn't imposter syndrome because if someone went, well, you're not a Southampton expert. I was like, no, I'm not. Yeah. Going to be. And, and I was very honest about how I was going to get better over the year. And I think my, mm. that first season, it took until maybe October. Mm. Before, before I got you know got used to things. I mean, it, t- it took me at least until October until I figured out how I like to work. You know, um, if I'm on a away game, do I want to stay in? A, do I want to stay overnight in that city, or do I want to get on a hotel and then go back the next day? Um, yeah. Do I want to get a hotel by the football stadium, or do I want to get a hotel in the city center? And learning those sorts of things that yeah, you know, yeah. a lot of people when they when they start being a football journalist, they learn in in, in like five years earlier. So that yeah. was that was year one in Southampton, and I I have a lot of love for Southampton. To the point mm-hmm. where quite a few United fans think I'm a uh, Southampton fan. Yeah. Um, and, and I think towards the end of that season, you could even see it in the press conferences that I'd, I'd walk in and Ralph Hassan was that was the manager. So, hi, Carl, how you doing? What you got for me today? Yeah. yeah. In that, I worked. I worked at it in a way that I hadn't worked at things in a long time. Mm. And I, I needed those failures at BuzzFeed. I needed those failures yeah, yeah. At, at, in 2016 to go. Because when I got to, I like, I went, this is it, man. Like, I can't. I, went, I was like, I can't mess this one up I can't right. I can't yeah. be stubborn I can't be headstrong I can't think I'm better than anyone else I can't be petty and narcissistic on the, on the internet in the way I've been doing I can't spend all day on Twitter beefing I've got to do my job yeah I've got to I've got to be a grown up about this um, and it what was also gratifying to me was I was also seeing people I had worked with in my non-footballing career come out and help me Mm. So this this is when Musa and I start talking a lot. Yeah, Musa's going, "Hey man, like, welcome to writing about football. Let me try and get you some people." Uh, yeah, I I really liked reading Statsbomb articles mm. throughout the 2018 World Cup. So Ted Nutson at Statsbomb is going, "Hey man, you seem to have a very interesting way about writing about stats. If you need some stats, not many people care about Southampton. Not many companies are going to read about Southampton stats, but you might." Like yeah. I was doing some data about Southampton stats. Do you want to use this in article? I was like, oh, thanks, man. Um, there were people, you know, Christian Hennage, who I worked with at Players Tribune, is based in New York. And one mm. of the players, as one of the Southampton players, went on loan at New York Red Bulls. And was like, hey, I interviewed him. Do you want those notes? I was like, Thank you. Yeah. Um, and that's the important thing about any creative thing is you're not alone. You are in a huge machine and a huge conglomerate of people all trying to trying to work together and and yeah look football the football industry has a lot of testosterone in it mm. i'm not gonna lie it has a lot of people who at some point wanted to be the footballer or wanted to be the athlete and perhaps didn't and a lot yeah. of and, and, and that like, competitive nature has been translated into their sport writing and i'm not gonna lie i'm a deeply competitive human being i'm like mm. i get so angry at mario kart yeah but the athletic in southampton was my first one when i'm like I'm trying everything in my power to not be that competitive. I'm trying to beat you up and punch you down because yeah. I, I, I had to, I had to get better as a human being. Mm. Um, 
and that was that Southampton year. And I think also, you know, we had lockdown, right? I have lockdown at Southampton. Yeah. So I'm, <clears throat> I'm, you know, lockdown happens. The world essentially ends. I'm living by myself in Southampton. And at those points, like, do I go back to London? Do I go back yeah. to live with family? I'm like, no, I'm going to try and ride back. it out. Let me yeah. try and ride it out. And yeah. I remember I, you know, over this lockdown, I wrote a huge, I wrote a 10,000 word article on Ralph Hassan's entire history. Mm. It, it, it was the longest thing I'd written since my dissertation on a single subject. It was just Thierry Southampton's manager, everything yeah. you need to know. And I came back and you know, at the start of the season, Southampton were very much, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know what the athletic is. I don't know if I should dignify these, whatever. And you know, I came back, lockdown's finished and I read this article and you could see some people going, hey man, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going, great, cool. And then obviously two weeks into football coming back, the Athletics gone, you have to move to Manchester. <laughs> right. So yeah. the next step happens and, and then you get Manchester and and then where we are now, essentially. I mean, we, we could, there might be some people who are like, this is the part I was waiting for. But here's the joke. I don't, this is the part I want to talk about the least. <clears throat> but I only have one question for you to, to answer about covering Manchester United you get essentially you get the big move let's call mm-hmm. it the big money move yep. um, in the football sense you cover Manchester United all of a sudden now you've gone from 2019 who's this guy Carl Anker where's he come from he's covering Southampton to earning everybody's respect I would say um, after covering Southampton but then you're covering one of the I'm going to say the biggest club in the world mm-hmm. I know some are going to gripe with it but I think on from a globally recognized sense you could legitimately argue the biggest club in the world right and that opens you up to a whole next level of scrutiny mm. you would it be right to say that although okay actually let me try and put two questions together when you go to manchester answer this one first when you mm. went to write for manchester united do you think you'd found your voice as a football writer no. Or by going to Manchester United, did you have to find your voice as a football writer because of the level, the level of scrutiny now is so much tighter? Um, not tighter, that's, that's the wrong word. No, 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 no. That, 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 so I much think greater that it's almost like way. in the early part of your stint there, I felt like every letter you wrote was being scrutinized. <laughs> Never mind I mean, every word, every letter you wrote was being scrutinized. And if you made a mistake, you might as well have called somebody Satan or something. Yeah. That's how it felt from an outsider looking in. What was it like for someone actually on the inside of that? It's hot, man. It's hot. It's hot. It's difficult. I mean, I mean even now, it's still hot. Mm. Okay. So the big money move. And the yeah. easiest way I can describe the big money move from covering a team the size of Southampton to the team covering Manchester United. So most Southampton fans live in England. Yeah. Okay, most of them live in England or they live in the United <coughs> States or they live in Australia. They live in most of them fans are speak English as a first language and they have a they are tuned in to English culture. Yes. First and foremost. So you when you're writing about Southampton, you can make jokes like Southampton defense set pieces in a more chaotic fashion than Anton Deck Saturday night takeaway. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. every single Southampton fan understands what you're talking about because they know who Anton Deck are. They know what Anton Deck takeaway is. They know how chaotic that is. And the first couple articles I was writing in Manchester United, I'm just trying to be the same human being. So I'm right. trying to make that sort of thing, but you can't because most Manchester United fans do not live in England. 
right. right? There's a huge Manchester United fan base in Nigeria. There's a huge one in India. There's a huge one in Russia. There's a huge contingent in the United States. There's a massive section in Spain. So you cannot write in that first and foremost, here is a joke about English television. Right. Because you get a, you, you inevitably get a very well-meaning person from India going, what is that? Yeah. And that is not their fault. That is my mm. fault for trying to speak in this ultra niche thing. Um, so you have to change your references. You have to change your shorthand. You cannot be sarcastic because sarcasm doesn't travel across languages. Yeah. And these are all things I'm learning on the job. You mm. also just, you cannot be, you cannot be critical of people in the same way you were at Southampton. Right. Yeah. A club, this, a club the size of Southampton has a certain limit onto how good a player is and how bad a player is. Right. If yeah. You, yeah. At a certain point, your Southampton player gets too good. They are going to go to a club bigger than Southampton, unfortunately. Yeah. And if a player is not good enough, they, they either stay at Southampton for a bit or they try and get sold. At Manchester yeah. United, everyone gets at Manchester United are a destination club, but they're yeah. an admission. If you talk to anyone there, people aim to get to Manchester United and then they do everything they're about to not leave Manchester United. Yeah. Which means there is a lot of nuance in discussing yeah. those players. Isn't there? You know, at Southampton, you can quite you can you can say this football player is not good at defending the back post. And yeah. everyone will be like, yeah, of course. Of course he's not good at defending the back post. He costs 15 million and he's 27 years of age. He's never going to get better at that. Yeah. At Manchester United, everyone, every single first team player at Manchester United has a couple of fans that will not give up faith on them, no matter what. Yeah. So you, you come in and you go, this player's not good at this thing. I know you're a demon. How dare you disrespect this football player? Um, yeah. boom, 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 boom. So you go, okay, fine. And there, there are times that I regret some of the things I said um, and, and not respecting by trying to describe things in a binary instead of trying to think describe things as a spectrum. I'd mm. also say Manchester United, because Manchester United are not where they want to be. Mm. So when you cover a football club, that is not where they want to be. And this happens if you covered Arsenal for a while, uh, if you covered Newcastle before the, the Saudi Arabia takeover, if you covered Liverpool for, for before Jurgen Klopp turned up, Chelsea are always in this state. If you cover a football club that aren't where they want to be, um, it is very easy to fall into the trap of saying this new football player is going to be the person to fix things. Right. Uh, and I perhaps have overplayed a football player's talents a new player's talents without properly analyzing their weaknesses in a way. Mm. You also get to the thing of because you're in Manchester United and this is something I get yelled at a lot recently that I, you know, I, this is one thing that I'm, I'm okay with being yelled at. I, the longer I spend at Manchester United and the longer you understand that this scrutiny isn't just on you, but is on everyone in the environment of Manchester United, right, the okay. less, the less willing you are to just call someone rubbish. Yeah. So uh, I'd say in the last three and a half weeks, I have been got, I have been yelled at a lot on Twitter because I am saying that hey, it was good once. I mean, that, 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 that simple, right? Yeah. You know, just saying that the hey, was good once. Yeah, um, that has that, that has caused a lot of United fans to go, "You're a disgusting human being. Look at you being yeah. the hey, a dick rider, whatever, whatever." Or um, I I have been accused of being on Harry Maguire's payroll because mm. I've said. I've because I say the way Harry Maguire is, is is hated is bizarre, and I've never seen a football player be hated uh, in, for non-racist reasons. Yeah, like I've seen racist abuse and, and Islamophobic abuse and whatever that's truly beyond the pale. But I've never seen 
a football player of Mike Harry Maguire's origin being discussed in those ways before. Yeah. And me going, well, actually, it's more complicated. This is actually why Maguire is not doing well, and boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Apparently, I'm 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 on his payroll and I'm a disgusting human being and I deserve to die. Um, I've not outwardly said which person involved at Manchester United I I want. Um, so apparently I'm on both of these people's payrolls. Uh, yeah. Uh, or apparently I'm on the Glazers' payroll. Um, because yeah. at a certain point, you just, when you cover a team the size of Southampton, you can say, oh, that football player across the road in that football club will be well suited to Southampton. And it just stops. That, yeah. That's a closed conversation. Yeah. Um, two weeks ago, I wrote about Marcus Turem. Yeah, and I said he's. I, a fantastic I read football. that. Yeah, he's, I said he's a fantastic football player. He's a free agent, and I, quite frankly, every single football club in the Premier League should be interested in him. And then I went, I don't normally do this, or I quickly learned doing this job not to do this. But for once in a while, I'm going to say this: Manchester United should try and buy Marcus Thuram. Within 12 hours, a football aggregator said Marcus Thuram is of interest in Manchester United. <laughs> I was like. I mean, this is why, you know, if people, I've, I've had people annoyed at me at Reddit, ask me any things. I've had people annoyed at me at the pub. I've had people annoyed at me online when they go, Carl, who should United buy? And I go, I don't answer that question. Yeah. And they think I'm being stuck up. Yeah. And I go, I, I, don't, I don't answer that question because I know I will eventually have to research my, I, like, I end up starting a transfer room I have to research. Yeah. So you have to, you have to be, you have to be more disciplined. You, you, yeah. I've had to be, I've had to be kinder. I've had to be more empathetic. Um, I've had to learn quite brutally uh, what Ronaldo fans are like. I've had to learn quite brutally what um, a group that we'll describe as top reds. Um, Mm. I've had to learn quite brutally how much or how far a certain type of football fan is willing to go when they disagree with you and what what they're willing to threaten and what they're willing to do to threaten you. Mm. Um, And that has come at Manchester United in a way that doesn't happen covering Southampton. And it's been mm. hard. It's been a learning curve. And, I, you know, every year you hope to get better at it. You hope to be, you hope to get a little, you know, uh, be accepted a little bit more by a fan base and, and hated a little less by some of the, the more renegade people. And I'll say, you said finding your voice. That's an interesting question in that I don't think you ever truly, you get comfortable in your voice. But again, yeah. you know, we're, let's be real. We're both black men. Mm. We both know how to code switch because we've had to. Mm. And you get better at those forms of code switching, or perhaps you get to a point where you, you feel less of a need to code switch. Right. Right. I, I right. would love one day to write an article on the athletic. That is a big one. And I don't have to put on my white person voice. Yeah. Right. But uh, there's a lot of times when I'm, I, and you know, sometimes you see my tweets or sometimes you see my articles and I'll put in like a little bit of yeah, my real voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'll get, I'll get, uh, a very real, well-meaning person called Clive going, what are you on about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said to Carl before um, we sp- I pressed record, I said, right, yeah, around 45 minutes, I'll, 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 I'll indicate that I'm going <laughs> to wrap this one up knowing full well that it wouldn't be around 45 minutes. So I'm going to, I've got, Carl, I've got two. I've got two things left and then I will literally wrap it up. But, sure. um, this has been fascinating because like I and I'm I'm hoping people like say people listening have found this as fascinating as I have. The years before 2018, notwithstanding, so I, for this particular question, I'm looking at 2018 to the present day. Mm-hmm. Football content, and yes, this is about journalism and sports writing, football writing. Football content 
and the way it's consumed has changed massively. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it took almost to the point where it's it's hard to it's hard to shut out the noise and find true meaning. I don't know if that's the phrase I should be using, but that's the way I'm thinking about it in my head, yeah. right? And that's to me, I'm, I'm putting myself in the eyes as just an ordinary punter here who's reading the various different things. And I'm like, there's so much nonsense and so much noise. And this is why I told, that's why I asked you a, a while back about finding your voice. How have you had to change the way you write to fit the changing nature of the scene does, does that make sense as a question yeah yeah that's or great. have you been able to stay have you been able to kind of keep a level of cons- i know you said the thing about how you write for southampton versus how you write for manchester united but stylistically you have a style right mm-hmm. but does that style have to change forget the clubs does the style have to change in line with the way that football is being consumed in the yes. present day, do you, do you get what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah. I'd say I'd say my first season at Manchester United, I I go supernova. Yeah, right. So first season at Southampton, I'm going. I'm going to prove to the world I'm a I'm a football journalist. And I get to Manchester United, and I go. I'm going Russell, Russell Westbrook here. I'm going mm. points, rebounds, assists, 2020, 20, 20, I'm, I'm giving you 110 percent every night. Just, yeah, all the time. Yeah. And great, hooray! Goes really, really well that first season. I also write a book. I also go straight from that season into the Euros and I'm I'm going so well at yeah. that first season at United that the Athletic go, you're covering England at Euros. And I, right. and England go all the way to the final and I write mm. so much. And I, I write, I was averaging a at least a thousand words on England or Manchester United football, totally football podcast, right? I'm doing that every two days. Just mm non-stop no no days off boom 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 like you're gonna know about me you're gonna know about me this is this is a this is a year where i get nominated for a lot of awards yeah at a time where people go i don't even know who this kid is and he's always on these award shows which inevitably led to a lot of he's only there because he's a black guy and they need the black guy but my my thing was just i'm just empty the clip screw it just go for it also you know it's lockdown it's not like go out go to cinema so yeah. and I get to I get to preseason, which was like two weeks after the end of the Euros, and I'm exhausted. Yeah, I am exhausted. I am tired. The season starts. Cristiano Ronaldo's at Manchester United, uh, and I say this with love. If you love Ronaldo, if you don't like Ronaldo, all I will say is when Cristiano Ronaldo turns up at your football club, everything changes. Right? Yeah. He is the most. He's one of the most newsworthy people on the planet. Mm. And he's he's not he's not a football player. He's a football entity unto himself. Yeah. You want to discuss anything about your football team? If Ronaldo's there, you have to have a bit that addresses Ronaldo because yeah. that is what people are interested in. Mm. Win, lose, draw, boom, 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 boom. So that just warps how everything's going on. It also warps what's going on at Manchester United. And I am exhausted. I'm barely sleeping. I'm still getting this level of. Who's this guy? Oh, he's yeah. a blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I can't handle yeah. this right now. I go to a doctor in September and the doctor's going, young man, you don't have the organs of a young man anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you get some rest. Mm. So I take time off. I come back a lot later and I have to relearn things. You know, I have, I have a lot mm. of talk with, with therapists. I have a lot of talk 
with the doctor and they go, it's all well and good going 110% all the time. But when you are, well, essentially what a nurse said, you're not a football player. You don't have to yeah. live like one. Mm. Um, and you also have to learn like a football player to, to, to time your peaks, right? Yeah. I, you, uh, so one, one thing last season that was different to season before is I, I simplified my writing style. Mm. Okay. So there were time, there was, there were points in time where you would come up to me and say, what's Aaron Wambasaka good at? And I go, here's 3000 words on that subject. And it's yeah. going to detail everything, including his final season at Crystal Palace and how it's changed to the time at United. Whereas now my writing is a lot more iterative. I'm not trying yeah. to be comprehensive in everything I do. I'm, yeah. I'm going, okay, here's what's going on right now. Uh, if something changes, I'll come back to you in two months, but that'll do for now instead of, yeah, 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 here yeah, is yeah. the be all and end all right now because, mm. you know, you get older, your commitments change. I have a mm. partner now. I, I, yeah. I, I'm allowed outside in Manchester. Lockdown's lifted. Yeah. I want to go to the cinema. I, I try now to peak. I'd say my first season at Southampton, it took me till September, October to get to like understand how that team worked. And then yeah. you get stronger again after Christmas break because you go, oh, is the transfer or whatnot? Yeah. So now, yeah, every season uh, when it gets to August, I'm not trying to be definitive because who knows what this team's going to do? Yeah. So, so y- your style changes there, and I say it's interesting you say in 2015, 2020, thing, 23, 2023. If you're verified on Twitter, that is very different to being verified on Twitter in 2018, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd say. Twitter, the the changes to Elon Musk, Elon Musk has brought to Twitter has got me really worried for the graduates. So anyone listening yeah. to this going, I want to get into the game. Yeah. I want to get into the game. Do not do detailed Twitter threads. Yeah. Stop it. Okay. I, I don't like telling you stuff to not do, but the reason we, the reason journalists used to do long threads on Twitter in 2016, 2017, 2018 is because right at the end, you put an article at it and again twitter does not drive traffic you put an yeah. article to your ip your yep. email address your website and saying hey here's here's a 12 part thread i'm only giving you four of these if you want to know more here's my email address mm. here's where you can hire me because that's that's what the tw- internet was now i see a lot of essentially geniuses on twitter right people mm. who have the ability to code and check out FB Ref and go on Y Scout and have more time than I do, quite frankly, mm. to, to to look at hyper specific things and break down things in a way that should they should be getting paid for. Yep. And it's beautiful. And they do 25 tweets about it and go subscribe to my Patreon. And then I see their Patreon subscribers. I'm going, Oh my god, no, 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 no. You're giving away way too much for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've already given it all away, man. So <clears throat> that is a that is a problem we have in that Twitter, you know, back in the day, Twitter used to be come in the shop. The shop is my email address. Come come give me yeah. work later. And because of the changes Elon Musk has done, the shop is the plat the platform to, to show your works is less interesting for people to be yeah. in. Um and that's difficult. I also think you know, the, the thing I always say is every World Cup is someone's first World Cup. Um, and I, you're 40, I'm 32. Mm. We're both getting to the age where most people at the World Cup, most players at the World Cup are younger than us. Yeah. So I'm getting, I'm getting a little too grey. I'm getting a little bit, I'm getting a little bit bored of the same conversations. I, yeah. I don't, I, I don't care that Nedviad got the Ballon d'Or in 2004 over Henri. That doesn't interest me. I mm. see that argument every international break. Shut up. Move on. Yeah. 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 Right? yeah. Um, 
So I get a lot of students going, I want to get into this industry. How do I get into this industry? And I go, it's hard, right? Don't do unpaid internships. I did them. You don't have to do them. You have to get paid for this. Set up a website, set up a shop. The, the purpose of your thread is to show people that you can do it and they should pay you to do it. Don't give all of it away. Yeah. Right? There's, if you're listening to this and you go, oh, The Athletic, I know a way to read athletic articles without paying for them. I ain't going to yell at you. Fine. Mm. Cool. But also understand if you want to get into this game, understand someone's going to be trying to do that to you. Yeah. How do you make sure your IP is still good even if someone's going to backdoor you? Yeah. So yeah. things like that I recommend. Um, you know, AI is coming. It, it, yeah. doesn't, ha- it doesn't have to. It doesn't yeah. have to. But decision makers have decided AI is going to be a thing now. And I think what's going to be really interesting is if you get if we get to a point where 45 to 55% of the article is written by a computer, the, the important stuff, the 60%, is going to be news. Yeah. Right? It's going to be, you're going to, I think we, we might be heading to a bit where you go, Fabrizio Romano says, Neymar is going to Newcastle. Right, mm. hypothetically, and Fabrizio Romano will put that information out on a tweet, and then the computer will go, you know, and then someone will put an AI prompt: "Why is Neymar good at football?" And then the AI will explain all that stuff. So that mm. bit might be able. That bit, a language um, AI is at the moment is a language generator. It's a predictive tool. It can't tell you anything new. Right. Yeah. It can't tell you new ideas. It can only conglomerate old ideas and regurgitate it to you. So a, a computer can tell you why Neymar is good. A computer cannot predict that Neymar is going to go to Newcastle. So the right, big thing now yeah, yeah. for for any of you, I want to get into the game of being a journalist. Can you get good at news, or can you mm. can you find news quicker or faster than anyone else? And if you don't, if you're not a news teller, which I'm not, you know, I don't yeah. I don't break transfer stories. I explain to you effects after the transfer, yeah. and I I have a very pronounced writing style. So you know when you're reading a Carl Anker article, you can't get that anywhere else, right? I'm, yeah. There's, uh, this is why a lot of people mock me for my tweets or mock me for the style of writing or the fact I use loads of analogies. But I do that because you can't, that's yeah. me. Mm. You can't. Maybe one day you can tell an AI to write like me. I think most companies, well, I don't want, why would I ever teach a computer to write like Carl? There's only one Carl. Yeah. Th- that's my thing. That's why hopefully I might have Ow. a job. Yeah, outlive the yeah, outlive the AI. Yeah, I think I think I think those are the big things now. I think it's yeah. really interesting you mentioned about the fake news and mm. and and you can't tell what's real or not. And I think a big thing, and I'm going to be really particular in my words here, and I hope I don't get misconstrued here. Saudi Arabia, the Saudi Arabian Pro League is a thing now. Mm. They are spending a lot of money on a lot of football players and they want to be a major player in football. We don't know how long that's going to last. And some people are saying this is brand new. This, is, this isn't brand new. This is just like when the Chinese league was happening or whatever. I'd say one big thing about the coverage of the Saudi Arabian league that perhaps is different from the way we cover the Chinese league is that we don't have the journalists or the knowledge yeah. of journalists based in Saudi Arabia that we had in China. When 2013, yeah. 2014, 2015, the BBC, you know, BBC had someone based in China already. Mm. CNN have someone based in China already, whereas the way the world works, we, we don't necessarily have a bevy of journalists in Saudi Arabia who are reporting on the Saudi Arabian Pro League already. And mm. Google Google cannot tell you who you know who the rivalries are in Saudi Arabian football in the same way Google was able to tell you about like Shanghai's football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and then on top of that, you've got the problem of just the wild west that is Elon Musk Twitter, and anyone can buy a blue tick. Yeah. So we're seeing now a lot of accounts 
from Saudi Arabia, Dubai, the Middle East, who are people claiming to have knowledge or claiming to be in the know and are making really, really big authoritative things about stuff that I find very hard to verify. Mm. And this is this might not be a problem next year. In 2024, it might be the BBC's the BBC sent over a sports correspondent to, to cover the Saudi League, or, or, or CNN sent off someone else to do it. Or, or yeah, I think we might we might get to a point where more journalists get okay. You're the Saudi beat guy, but yeah. at the moment we don't have that. So, but it, it very much looks like Saudi Arabia isn't going to go away as a footballing entity. So we're seeing this thing of oh, there's a, there's a tweet from someone with twenty thousand followers um, yeah. tweeting in Arabic, and they're claiming <laughs> this thing, and I don't. Google Trends, I, is Google Trends like telling me the right thing here? Is is Does this football team have the money they have claim to have? Are mm. they really trying to buy this football player? Um, and that's a real big thing right now. Yeah. If if you are coming into this industry right now, the, the thing and the exercise I make, the students, the people I mentor are, is we need to figure out what do you know better than anyone else in this world? Yeah. And, and that is, a, you know, that comes from a com- com- you know, combination of who you are as a human being and your upbringing mm. and, and the things you like reading about. And if you can yeah, merge yeah. those two, we can, we can go about. So <clears throat> where did, where did you grow up? Me, mm-hmm. uh, Bromley, South London. So you grew up in Bromley and you're interested in football. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So your, your first, my, my first sort of I'm mentoring you is go, what's the, what's the, what's the nice non-league team in Bromley? And you tell me, it's Bromley. <laughs> there you go. And then, and, then, and then I go, okay, okay, 19-year-old, can you go and write me an article on Bromley's footballing culture? And then you go, but why? And I say, well, you, you grow up there. Your average BBC reporter who lives in London can't report about Bromley exactly. better than you can, but you can, and you can go and interview them and tell them, and you can tell that story to X. And that's the thing I try and tell everyone. That's, that's, I think that will be, yeah, essentially, we're, we're going to go back to a version of local reporting. 100%. So what you've just said, Carl, funnily enough, is exactly what you just literally described is what I do. Mm-hmm. I started a website that primarily covers Bromley for the, because in my head, I was like, it's a niche. No one mm-hmm. else can do it. No one else has done it. One day, Bromley will play in the FA Cup, someone massive. And I guarantee what will happen, there will be news companies who will be like, who, who knows anything about Bromley? Well, funny yep. enough, that guy over there, he's been right. Because that's how it has to. You, so things let's, really actually- think, let's, think about, let's think about the people at Wrexham's local newspaper. Right, exactly. Right? Now, let's really think about how their last two years have gone. And I'm not saying... You know, if you listen to this and you get into the sports industry, you should go learn Welsh and, and cover Rex. I'm saying there is a knowledge within you right now that perhaps you don't know that will one day help you find your story. Mm. Is is the you know it's it's the thing that the the nature documentary went. Why did you send me this CV? You want to be a journalist? Go be a journalist. Yeah, um, I I've got a really nice. There's a brilliant brilliant student I'm talking to right now, and he is um, grew up in Switzerland. Mm. And his parents are from Cameroon and he's pitching me all this stuff. And I stopped and I went, if you grew up in Switzerland and your parents are from Cameroon, do you want to write about Brilliant Bolo? Exactly. And he looked at me and went, but why? And I said, <laughs> and I'm like, Be- because, because you'd write the greatest ever Brilliant Bolo piece. And he goes, do, do you think so? I went, yes. He, yeah. you, he's got the same upbringing. And, yeah. uh, and he was like, oh, okay. And then I read it and it was a masterpiece. Because yeah. no one, no one's going to be able to write about Breed and Bolo better than someone who's lived 
a similar life to Breland Bartholdt. So, so would it be fair to say, <laughs> in many ways, this whole episode has come full circle. You've described yourself, however long ago in this episode, as in tw- coming out of unit 2012 as a nerd. But being a nerd has probably helped your career. If it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I mean, not even probably, just undoubtedly, point. right? You, you, it's, it's, it's treating things with care. Uh, if we are, if we're in an age of uh, partially AI written creative work, Mm. If, if if a TV you know, if your TV show has the credits made by AI and things are being made by an algorithm and decided with you, I think people are slowly getting to a point where we appreciate things made with care or made by nerds. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, yeah. The, people who watch Spider Verse going, I can't believe people made that. How did you make that? It's like it, it took it was hard, but it was made with love. I think mm. people are. I think especially you see this a lot with transfers, right? Yeah. People love. Your football team gets linked to a player who plays in France. Mm. The 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 BBC saying he's 28 years of age and scored this many goals. Fine, cool, covers the facts and figures. This article that tends to fly is going, hello, I'm in France and I've watched this person for a while. Yeah, 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 exactly, Would you like yeah. to know what it's about? Yeah. I think we, I, as more and more things get automated, you, you almost see a response to that is going, I want, I want the real eyeballs. I want the human touch. Yeah. Now, whether or not you're willing to pay for that, or how much right. money you can yeah. be to to be that eyeball is the next challenge, yeah. and I, I hope I hope more than anything for for all the students, for all the people willing to to chase the dream and, and to, to 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 go. I want to start doing this full time. I really hope that we can get to a point where we all stab, we, we we all get back to a point where we understand this is things made with care and by humans, and that is worth paying for. People, Carl has effectively given the end of the podcast before I asked him the question for the end of the podcast. So normally what happens in this podcast is at the end I say, oh, so what's your big kind of key takeaway that you need people to know? Carl's done that part, so I'm not actually going to do it. (laughs) How I I will end the podcast now, though, Carl, because we never actually spoke about it. And you can just give a quick answer on it, which is weird because it's effectively the latest thing that you're doing. But you are, of course, it would be wrong to just describe you as – um, like I think you said at the start, um, creative nonfiction, etc. Although effectively this relates to it as well. But you have written the three books with Marcus Rashford, um, the third of which is now on pre-order. I actually don't know the story of how this came about, so I do think <laughs> for those listening to to it who who are personal fans of your brand, your writing, etc. Those who may listen to this, be like, but how do you be- how did you become an author as well? What is the story there? Who who approached who? Uh, the story is Marcus held open auditions. So oh, he, he, oh. essentially, <laughs> right. okay, fair enough. Marcus, 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 Marcus's team. Um, Marcus is approached by Macmillan Children's Publishing. Are you interested in writing a book? Marcus has an idea for a book, mm. which I think caught quite a few people by surprise. So, oh, okay, you know, a twenty-four-year-old. You ask twenty-four, do you want to write a book? And they go, yeah, sure, I got an idea. Really, mm. um, I outlined the idea. Open auditions were held, um, and uh, it was November twenty, oh, November twenty twenty. Uh, my book agent. So I, I had a book agent at this point in time oh, okay. already, okay. because again, similarly, uh, a person. Well, I, 
I wrote an article on Huck magazine about why, yes, in fact, it is acceptable to throw eggs at Nigel Farage and to make sure fascists can't openly take up space. Um, Mm. And uh, a very nice person DM me and went, we should have coffee uh, and said, you've got great tweets and you write great articles. Have you thought about writing a book? And I said, no. And I was right. Okay. To write a book, you probably need a book agent. I'm going to give you some contact details of people I think could be good book agents for you. Yeah. Uh, and several years pass and I don't write a book. <laughs> uh, Were you at so, least thinking about one? Or- <laughs> oh, I, I wrote, I wrote 20,000 words of what I thought was going to be a crime novel. Cause again, okay. uh, yeah, and, and, and I gave it to my agent and the agent went, I really found it fun. It was a really nice, easy read. This is not a book. This is a script. <laughs> um, which in, in the same way of, I, I handed over someone in the CV and they went, you're not a filmmaker. You're not a filmmaker. You're a journalist. And I thought I wrote a fiction book. And she went, that's not a fiction book. That's a script. In that, you know, how yeah, yeah, yeah. old, old habits creep in. <laughs> so in the, so the plan wasn't, I wrote 20,000 words. And the plan was the summer of 2019, I was going to redo the whole thing and write a book. Uh, and so in summer of 2019 is when the athletic went, hello. Right. Okay, you're moved to yeah, Southampton. Yeah. So I, I yeah. don't, I don't finish writing the book. Uh, and I've actually fixed the problem with the book over the first lockdown. And one day I will sit down and do it. Yeah. But we'll see. Um, so book agent gives me a phone call in November uh, and I'm going, this is it. She, she's going to fire me. <laughs> I've, I've, I've not, I've not five years book. deep, no book. <laughs> yeah, five years deep, no book. Uh, and she messaged me and going, Would you be interested in writing Marcus Rass's book? Uh, and I was like, Oh, what? It's, there's open auditions. You, you, uh, we can send over a portfolio. Uh, you can say reasons why you, you think you'd be a good fit. Uh, and mm-hmm. if you want to. And I said, You know what? You know, uh, the Andy Gray thing, you got to buy a ticket to, to win the raffle. So I sent over uh, I sent over some things I helped with on Players Tribune. I sent over some of my football articles uh, and go, yeah, send over. And I remember that week, basically, I am in the athletic offices and I am looking at other people who write about Manchester United. Mm. And I'm going, that person's written five books. That person's written three books. That person's written four books. And I said, if in this room alone, I am not the most specialized person to write a book with Marcus Rashford. So it's probably not going to happen. Two weeks later, doing a podcast, get a text message on my phone. He's picked you. Uh, and I yelp on this podcast. <laughs> and I was like, are you okay? I'm like, fine, fine, fine. Great. I'm like, Amazing. And he then, oh, wow. You know, I get, I, have to, I get to write a book with Marcus Rashford. And then yeah. I, I, I watched this BBC documentary and I went, I've got to write a book on Marcus Rashford. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this is when I create the, the super Wikipedia page, uh, start doing my research, start looking into to how I can make Marcus tell his story in the most authentic manner. Marcus's idea is to write, he really likes this book called Relentless, which was written by yeah. Tim Grover. Tim Grover is mm. Michael Jordan's old personal trainer. He's Kobe Bryant's old personal trainer. He's uh, Dwayne Wade's old personal trainer. If you watch The Last Dance, he yeah. is the person who explains to you what the flu game is. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, he, so yeah, he was there when that happened and he's like, it's not the food game, it's the pizza game, food poisoning game. So he wrote this book called Relentless and it's all about how there's closers, there's cleaners and there's coolers. You know, there, there's three types of people in this world. And you, mm-hmm. you go and there's talkers and there's doers and you go out and you do yeah. that. And Marcus was given this book when he was 17 
ju- so people at the United Academy are like this kid might do it. Mm. Let's help him orientate himself and gave him copies book. And Marcus said that's the first book he ever read outside of school. Right. And he and he loved it. He reads it all the time. He reads it to this day with a pencil and underlines certain passages of it. And he said, he, he very first time he said he, he, we talked, he said, I wish I'd read this book earlier because if I did, I'd be so much further along in life. And mm. I burst out laughing. I know, why are you laughing? I went, no, no disrespect, Marcus. You're 24 years of age. I think you're doing pretty good for where you are. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, sorry. And there were loads of times we first started talking. I'm going, Marcus, like, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. If I'm laughing, it's not because I'm laughing at you. It's because I, I I can't respond. Yeah, it's not it's not quite incredulity, but it's like that's preposterous. It can't possibly be true, but it is true because he's done it. Uh, and he said this book was amazing for him and fantastic for him. And that yeah, you know, the household he grew up, he wasn't someone who his mum left the Sunday Times or, or the Sunday newspaper on a weekend for him to go through, or necessarily a household where the the TV guide was there for him to go through. Mm. Right, he, he didn't read in that way, and he thought. At 17, reading seems really good and important and useful. I hope I want to bring that to, to more generations of children. I said, could we create a way, a version of Relentless for kids? Right. So okay. I read Relentless. I read a number <coughs> of other children's books. And I went, okay, this is what Marcus wants to do. This is how, you know, McMillan went, this is a framework of, you know, Carl, you've never written a book before. This is mm. a framework, an outline of how a book like this would look like. You and Marcus go on Zoom, create one. Um, and the first time, we, the first time we went on Zoom, it's me, it's Marcus, it's Marcus's two, couple of people from Marcus's team, it's my book agent, and we're on the Zoom chat, and it's Marcus and I talking, and as we're talking, you know, it's like six. You've got the thing in the Zoom, so you six people on this call, and we're talking, and it goes five people on this call, four people on this call, and going, what's going on? Um, and I get a text message going, you two are getting on like a house on fire. We're always going to leave you to it. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, great. Yeah. And Marcus is incredible, right? He. If, if we're scheduled to talk for half an hour, we are not talking for 45 minutes. If we're scheduled to talk mm. for 45 minutes, we talk for an hour. There are times where he, he there are times when he cannot talk to me, right? You know, if mm. the, the, when the first book came out, Manchester United went top of the league, joint top. He, he looked like they yeah. won a tight race. And Marcus is almost like, hey, I have to do something on a Saturday evening that isn't talking yeah. to you about a book. I'm like, cool, fine. But there was also times where he was on England duty and he's calling him up from St. George's Camp going, hey, girl, let's, yeah. let's, like, what, what do you want to do today? Um, and there were times where it looked as if we weren't going to have enough time to finish it. And Marcus is going, I will get on the phone. Like, I'm like, make clear this afternoon and I'll get on the phone with you and we'll just crack on with this, whatever oh, you need. Oh. Um, and, and we talk for hours about loads of stuff. His upbringing, the way he looks at football, um, how he views the game, how he views the importance of community. It essentially wrote so much in the first two books that it became like a third book, which is a play a workbook. And now yeah. we're working on, on another book now. And yeah, I think the first book we did in particular is I'm very, very, very proud of that. And I think that's probably the you know, if when I shuffle off this mortal coil and they say, Oh, what did Carl Anker do? You can go, He did that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he helped make that happen. Uh, and I think yeah, that's the thing I'm most proud of. Do you know what? That's a, that's an amazing story. And actually, it therefore means I can end the episode with this. You've gone from coming out of uni to wanting to be a script, script writer, screenwriter. You find yourself in football journalism, not by intention, but essentially crack the code. You then become an author. So it leads me to say the following. 
do you think you're going to write a script at some stage? <laughs> Did yeah, this, yeah, like, the like, yeah. You are going to write a script at some it stage. Has, it, it has to happen. Uh, it's that thing of, uh, it has to happen. There, there will be there will be one summer eventually where I am not writing a book and there's not an international football tournament and I'm just going to do it. Is it something um, you want to tick off? Do, do you still have that ambition? Or do, I, I know... Is it um, is it an ambition of yours to still write that script one day or I, get something? But I'm still not sure if it's better off as a script. Or I'm still not sure if 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 I could I could make it in the book, right? So mm-hmm. the, the the amazing thing in writing that book with with Marcus is it, people want a book by Carl Anker, right? Yeah. And that is a immense privilege. And if you have the chance to do that. I feel as if you should. Not every mm. there's a lot of people. Everyone's got a book in them, but not everyone has a person willing to buy that book off them. Yeah. And I, hopefully, gratefully, deeply grateful for have that opportunity. Mm. So therefore, I will do it one day. Uh, and maybe it will take years. Maybe I'll I'll take a November off work and just lock myself in and just do the thing. Um, and I've like in, in first lockdown, I like fixed the plot. I figured out. I figured out a problem I've got in like there was a bit where I couldn't quite get from Act Two to Act Three. There was a bit where like there was a mystery and it wasn't mysterious enough. It was very very obvious what the twist was, and I couldn't quite. I couldn't quite figure out like I couldn't quite figure out if if one of the main characters was going to die at the end or not. And I figured all of it out. Figured all of it out. It's done. Like the plot is there. I've I've got my, my younger brother's a fantastic artist and he's done drawn illustrations of some of the stuff. I've created like top chart, top trumps alignments for certain scenarios. So if I get stuck, I can just go back to the file and say, this is how this person would react in yeah. situation X. So it's all there. I just have to write it. And I'm talking to you at a point in my life where I can now authoritatively write 2000 words in three hours. Right. And a book, your first book is 60,000 words. Yeah. So, if I push this out of the way and I push this out of the way and I push this out of the way and I push this out of the way, I could have theoretically like the three weeks or a month and just go, no one talk to me, no one invite me to the pub. I'm going to do the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just haven't done it yet. <laughs> so ladies and gents, <laughs> this, has been the, this has been the one with the journalists. Uh, it's gone a lot longer than we thought it was going to go, but that's no, that's that's all good. I'm assuming that any, everyone listening to this has listened to this in either two, two sit downs or three sit downs. <laughs> But although it started as the one with the journalist, I'm fairly certain, I don't know how long from now, but this one's going to end up as the one with the, I'm going to call it the one with the film writer. I re- <laughs> <laughs> this, this idea you've got in your head, I fully expect five to six, however many years from now, whatever you've got, whatever that idea is in your head, I'm going to see it on a Netflix special at some point, <laughs> at some point in the next 10 years or so. But um, listen, Carl, it's been an absolute pleasure um, to chop it up with you. Um, understand your journey um i don't want to say to understand how you made it but i guess want to say understand how you had to kind of as as i kind of say in the show notes how you kind of traversed the industry to get where you've got to and i hope people have taken from this that with carl like it's with a lot of people it's not a there was nothing linear here (laughs) none of this this story was point a to point b to point c to point d if anything you could argue it's gone in the weirdest zigzag diagonal one thing i really like about this show is that 
you talk to people who have, by all accounts, someone's dream job. Someone listened to this is going, this yeah. person has my dream job. And yet every episode I've listened to so far, the person you're talking to admits, I kind of want someone else's dream job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or they go, I started off, I started off wanting someone else's dream job. Yeah. Which yeah, is that yeah. thing of, there, there's, you, a dream job doesn't exist because you have to live, you have to be real, right? Mm. No matter what job you have to do, there, there is the reality of you have to email someone. Yeah. You have to be on the 100%. phone to someone. Like, there is no, there's no such thing as a dream job because as one of my greatest ever university lecturers ever said, once you graduate, deadlines can be brought forward. Yeah. And I'm like, what? I should, you'll see. You'll see. Um, and I think anyone listening to this understands this is weird. I think there is something within all of us that wants to, what I say is tell a story, mm. right? Yeah, is yeah. There, you know, why do we dance? What, hum, what Fundamentally, why do human beings dance? There's mm. no benefit to it. Or, or the thing I think a lot about is the um, the piano at the train station. Yeah. The piano at the train station serves no purpose. <laughs> <laughs> on, on like a, if you're a you know, horrible pencil pusher, it serves no purpose, right? It, yeah. It, it serves no purpose. There's no guarantee anyone that walks in can play piano. And and yet, we do it. We put one there on the on the understanding that someone might walk in and play piano. And yet, the person who plays piano often goes, I'm going to play something nice for the people around me. Yeah. Rather than distressing. Why? Why, why do you do any of this? Is that because yeah. there's just something inside us as a people, and I think as a community or whatever, that we understand there's a need to, to tell something that isn't there before. And yeah. the people that do things that aren't there before are to get there and to, mm. to, to, to anyone who turns an empty page into something, I salute you and I give you mm. a thumbs up and more so than anything out there. I really hope you get paid money to do it now because my God, it's hard. Ain't <laughs> <laughs> hey, <hey>, that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> And actually, that is the best way to end the show. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, that's been Carl Anker. This has been the one with the journalists. This has also been The Game is the Game. I've been your host, Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt. Thank you and good night. Thank you for listening to The Game is the Game with Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt. If you enjoyed that episode and you'd like to find out more about the work I do, you can head to linktr.ee forward slash mashstpaddy. If you'd like to find me on Twitter, you can find me at mashstpaddy. And if you'd just like to email me about anything you're interested in or that episode made you think about or anything in particular, you can email me at mstpatrick at gmail.com.